who have never yet quite gotten over the fact that you have indeed chosen to send a redemption for people such as we. We are a people who understand that it was our sin that provoked and evoked this, this great reconciling work of Jesus Christ. It was our sin that made it necessary. It was for his people that he died because had he not, none of us would, able to be stand, would, would be able to stand before you forgiven. Father, it is indeed a story of amazing love, a love that has not yet been plumbed by our understanding. And Father, it is one of the purposes of our worship to understand more and more about the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Oh God, might this hour be spent fixed upon amazing love. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of the ways that you have that you have led us in this past week, ways that you have communicated to us that indeed we are yours and you are ours. Thank you, O oh God, for the kind ways that you have provided for us, that we stand here as a people well-fed and well-clothed and well-housed. We understand, O oh God, that it is not the booming economy that has made that possible. It is because of your common grace on this land and that we are a people who not only know your common grace, but your special saving grace in Christ Jesus. And so not only have we a full and rich, abundant life now, there is one that awaits us that I have not seen nor ear heard. We will never be able to fathom what awaits for us. And Father, on resurrection morning, we will all wonder why we loved you so little in this three score and ten that we have here. Father, we do again plead for our nation. It is a nation that has forgotten any sense of morality, telling us that truth is relative, telling us there are no absolutes, telling us that we live in a closed universe, telling us that God is not anything but a figment of our imaginations. Father, that's the culture that we want to reach. In fact, we would think like they were it not for your amazing love. That at one point in our lives exchanged a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And so we stand here today, not as people who mock at these things, but people who cherish them. And I pray, O oh God, that we could be reminded of all that as we worship together today. Lord, uh, might the sacrament remind us of the centerpiece of our faith. Might we be reminded of the death of Jesus Christ for his people. Make that a means of grace for our souls this day. And we ask all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Follow as I read. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first commandment of, of all, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Then Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? The common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. I'm, um, I want to point something out real quickly. It's just uh, one of the minor points in this text before we dive into the major one. But it's in that, those verses 38 through 34. I get this question a lot, and every time I answer it, Christians seem to be somewhat surprised by my answer. But uh, you'll notice that last sentence, they will receive greater condemnation. Um, whenever I say something about the degrees of heaven and degrees of hell people always look at me with bewilderment. But here is one of those uh, places where you find that Jesus says, because of certain uh, provocations, indeed, there will be a greater, a greater condemnation. And in, in this particular instance, I, I think what you find here is uh, a list or a series of three people, three questioners who come to him and want to try and stump him. And Jesus says, watch out for those guys. They didn't really come to, to get an answer to a question. No, no. They came to make me look bad. They came to trap me. Uh, they came with an agenda. There are people, indeed, who, who have honest questions and want honest answers, but these aren't they. These guys have come with an agenda. Beware of them. And um, their condemnation will be greater. Just thought I'd point that out before we dive into what I think is the the real heart and soul of the text, which really consists of two questions. The first question is asked by the scribe, beginning in verse 28. He had been present at the other two questioners. By the way, if you didn't see this, uh, there are two questions that precede this. There's one by a Pharisee, there's one by a Sadducee in verses 18 through 27, and there is a group of them that are, that are gathered in line, uh, apparently, to ask questions. And so the scribe has heard the, the two previous questions and uh, sensing that he is in the presence of some uncanny genius at work, 
watching him handle the Pharisees and then the, and then the Sadducees. Oh, the Sadducees. Answering them with a quote from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, which is the heart of the Torah, which they're supposed to know. That's, that's the only thing that Sadducees really believed was the Torah. And Jesus takes the Torah and, and answers their question. So he decides that he wants to ask a question too. It's time for him to step into the ring. And um, Mark doesn't say this, but Matthew does. He uses the term he silenced the other two. It's an interesting Greek word that um, could be translated gagged. <laughs> he had silenced them all right. And now the scribe wants to ask, ask his own question. And though we're not told his motives, Matthew hints at his motives. Matthew says the scribe stepped up wanting to test Jesus. So that's our setting. The scribe test walks up wanting to test Jesus and says, by the way, Jesus, what's the foremost commandment of all? What's numero uno? What's number one? Uh, and, and in these guys, in their particular theological work, they had come up with 613 of them. So for somebody to, to reduce it all to one, they were always looking for somebody to reduce it to one. And so he says, tell us, tell me what's the foremost commandment of all. But now, gang, before we get into this, I, I want you to stop long enough and think about what it is that's taking place before us here. This scribe is asking a question of the one that you and I think is God incarnate. He is asking the one that we think is God incarnate. He is asking him what is the essence of a relationship with God. And he's about to get an answer. So the rest of us better listen up very closely. We need to kind of lean forward in our chairs. Be very quiet. And listen very closely. Because Jesus is about to reply to a question that says, what is the essence? Don't you want to know that? Don't we all want to know that? He's about to tell us. His reply begins with something that's very familiar to every Jew. It's called the Shema Israel. It's taken from the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Um, it is the opening sentence in every worship service in Judaism. It is repeated by every devout Jew every morning of every, and every evening of every day. In fact, the really pious put it in a little box that they strap to their foreheads that they call phylacteries, and those who pray wrap it on their wrists with a, with a leather band. The others, in fact, others take it and put it in a little box at their front door. It's called a mezuzah. Every Jew know the, knew the first part. That, that part was a creedal position of all of Israel. It's this next part that is so foreign to Jewish ears. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
the scribe had come to Jesus and said, all right, Jesus, could you, we've got 613 of these silly things. Could you reduce it to one for us? Could you give me some kind of commandment, some kind of uh, act, some kind of work, some type of performance, some kind of a piece of heroism, if you could just tell me what it is that is the essence of being related to God, just give me the one commandment. Give me something to do. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God. And then the scribe in verses 32 and following says, boy, that was a good one. <laughs> that was a good reply. I, I marvel at your insight. And then Jesus drops the bombshell. When he says in verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. <laughs> what do you mean I'm not far? What do you mean I'm not? What, what, what did you mean by that? I mean, I, 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 I just said I agreed with you, didn't I? I mean, you and I think alike. We're on the same page. I mean, we're in perfect agreement here. What do you mean? I'm not far from the kingdom of God. I, I, I agree with what you said. Isn't that enough? No, it isn't. My question to you, ladies and gentlemen, is do you know why it isn't? Do you know why, after having heard what Jesus said and the scribe agreeing with it, do you know why Jesus would describe him as being only close but not in? What's missing in the scribe? Well, I'm, I, I wasn't there, and I'm no... Um, heart reader, so I can't be positive, but I can take an educated guess. Um, and it has to do with this loving God stuff. Stay with me. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has just stated that the essence of a relationship with God is loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to know something. I haven't done that for 30 seconds in my entire life. Have you? Now, if that's the great commandment, and I haven't kept it for 30 seconds in my entire life, what would that make me? <laughs> that would mean that I'm a violator of the great commandment. That would make me the great violator. If that's the great commandment, and I've never performed it 30 seconds in my entire life, that would mean that I happen to be a violator of the great commandment, or... I'm the great violator. Now, how can somebody who's the great violator ever have a sense of safety and peace? Well, gang, here's the answer, I hope, that, that you'll understand. The difference in being not far or, or close can often be traced back to a failure to misunderstand what I just said. Number one, that I am the great violator and that means that I'm in need of a great savior when people do recognize that they're the great violator 
then they, they begin to grab hold of Jesus Christ in such a way that they will never let go of him. They are not satisfied simply because they agree with certain ideas that Jesus propounds. They go way beyond agreeing with what Jesus said. These are a people who know that they are a great violator and thus they hold on tight to who Jesus is and what he did because he's the only fulfiller of the great commandment that ever lived. Gang, Um, agreeing with a certain set of Christian ideas will leave you close but not in. Christians go way beyond agreeing with a certain set of positions or ideas they are people who know that they're a great violator and so they wouldn't dream of letting hold, let letting go of Jesus Christ the great savior you know I have this long story to tell but I don't have time to tell it but it was about John Wesley you know the name in fact we just sang one of his brother's hymns but John Wesley crossed the Atlantic to be a missionary to Indians and on the way back discovered that he was only close. And guess what? Guess what text John Wesley points to as the one exposing him? Mark chapter 12, verse 34. And then let me just read you. This, this excerpt from his diary. Um, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That was written by a man who had become a missionary and realized that he was only close. Gang, I, what I'm suggesting is that the heart of this text is the exposing of a position that says all I've got to be, all I've got to do to be right with this God is to agree with him. He, he says certain things and I believe certain things. Nah, there are certain things that uh, I hear preached from the pulpit and I, yeah, yeah, put me down for one of those. I'm right in line with you. I agree with everything you're saying just like this scribe did. But that agreement left him only close. 
But let me just draw to your attention one other thing in this little uh, second question that now Jesus asks. Uh, watching them begin to pull back, Jesus goes on the offensive. It's now time for him to ask a question. And what he wants to know is, how can one person be David's son and David's Lord at the same time? <laughs> and um, this was supposed to be another one of those areas of great expertise for the scribes. This, was, uh, this had to do with the descent of the Messiah. Well, they're supposed to know that stuff. And the answer, says Jesus, is to be found in Psalm 110, and he quotes it there. And, and what Psalm 110 does is ascribe to Jesus something that had been reserved only for God. The, the answer to Jesus' question is this. The Son of David is God incarnate. That really stumped these fellas. So Jesus asks them a question and they don't have the foggiest notion how to answer it. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, being asked a question in your field of expertise in front of some audience and you don't have the slightest idea what the answer is? <laughs> your heart begins to race faster and your body heat goes up and you begin to fill the air with some mindless blither, hoping no one will ever figure out that you really didn't answer the question. Now, the reason I know so much about this is because it's happened to some of my friends. It's, uh, it's never happened to me. But, but, but here he is, here they are, supposed to know all about this. Don't have a, don't have a flog, foggiest clue. Gang, part of what Jesus is doing in this passage is not simply making them look bad, but trying to underscore who it is that is teaching them so brilliantly. But here again, gang, stay with me. Brilliant teaching can't save a great violator. Um, if it's teaching that you want, oh, go to Jesus. He's a great teacher. You'll never find a better one. But ladies and gentlemen, just submitting to his teaching... I'm afraid it's going to leave you outside because agreement is not what we're after, at least completely. It begins with agreement, but it agrees, number one, that I have never performed the great commandment ever, which makes me a great violator. And because I know I'm a great violator, I need more than a teacher. Jesus Christ is not simply a model for me. Oh, he is that. But Jesus Christ is more than that. I um, have to confess, I'm the one that asked Carla to sing that anthem today. Wasn't that beautiful? But you did hear, didn't you? something sung in there nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace 
Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Teach me, Savior, or I die. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is not enough to agree. But once we understand that we are the great violators of the great commandments, then we will sing too. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to his cross we cling. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you must ask yourself, is my sense of safety derived from the notion that I hold to a certain set of facts? If that's all you've got, then I think Mark chapter 12, verse 34, describes you. You're not far. He will teach us, ladies and gentlemen. But when he becomes our Savior, he, he does more than teach. And he won't leave you close to the kingdom. He will carry you all the way inside it. Ladies and gentlemen, what this text, I think, calls us to do is make sure that we've not stopped within sight of the kingdom by agreeing with certain notions. But that we're all the way inside it by clinging to Christ and Christ alone. May we pray. Our Father, I, we do thank you for your word. A, a, another opportunity to hear the divine genius of the Son of God, an, an opportunity to hear, hear described the very essence of what it means to be rightly related to the God who made us. We get a chance to hear from the gracious lips of Jesus Christ that simple agreement leaves us close but not in. And I pray, O oh God, that what we do here as a group, that we are far more than simply taught by Jesus. We are that, but we are now people who repose in the person of Jesus Christ, that we hold on to him because it is he alone that can bring us safely inside the kingdom of God. And it is his great work that we celebrate now. Might these simple and common elements remind us of what Christ has done for us and make us more into his image by remembering. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.